you want to turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Last week we began this lesson looking at the example of the Israelites. And of course I had too much material to fit in one lesson, so we're going to finish it this morning. But we look at the example of the Israelites in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He said in verse 6 that these things happened as examples for us. That we look at what's written in the Old Testament and it's there for a reason. It's not just a record of things, of interesting things that happened or just a historical account and that's really all it is. It is historical. It did happen. But the specific things that were recorded were written so that we might learn something from them. And as we talked last week, and we'll just go over these points quickly of what we covered last week, just as a a little bit of a review. We were told in verse 6 that we are not to crave evil things as they also craved. This was the fundamental problem they had. They craved the things that, that were evil. They did not want what God provided. They wanted... The, they wanted other things. This is where sin starts, where we are craving what is wrong. And so the way to overcome that is we need to instead crave or desire what is good, desire the things that God has given us. We are told in verse 7, Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. We looked at the example that that verse is taken from in verse 7 quotes from Exodus chapter 32 when they created the golden calf. Moses had gone up into the mountain to receive the law from God and the people said, well, we don't know what happened to him. We have to have some some God to go before us. And so Aaron took the gold that they had and melted it down and, and formed this golden calf. They worshipped this, this idol and served it and they said sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play they did what they wanted to do and worshiped in the way they wanted to the way that we overcome this we recognize that god is the only being who is worthy of our worship you have no other gods before me he told them at the beginning of the ten commandments that we have to recognize nothing else in this life and Generally speaking, people today are not tempted to, to construct some graven image and fall down and worship it. But we do worship other things, whether it's material things or it could be people in our lives or things like that. Anything that we put ahead of God, that's become an idol. We are to guard ourselves from idolatry because only God is worthy of that first place in our lives and in our hearts. We're warned in verse 8, Nor let us act immorally as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in one day. The Israelites, how they were tempted to commit acts of immorality with the, with the people around them. And they acted immorally. They rebelled against God. This can be spoken of broadly, but specifically what they were doing in connection with the, that idolatry there was they were committing acts of sexual immorality. This is about ignoring God's plan for sexuality, which involves one man and one woman in a marriage relationship, and that is a lifelong relationship. The world and what some of them did and what we are tempted to do is to ignore that. We don't have to be confined 
by that. But the way that we overcome this, we exercise self-control. We do not allow ourselves to engage in those type of behaviors or activities. But we also, as we talked about last week, we do not tolerate that in the church. The brethren here in Corinth, they had done that. They were corrected for that. In chapter 5, they had someone among them who had was in sin, who had his father's wife. So they needed to personally, individually exercise self-control, but then also among their number not tolerate this as if well, there's nothing wrong and, and we can just go on and accept anyone who may be involved in these types of sins. So these are the ones we talked about last week. We look at their example. Do not crave what is evil. Instead, we need to desire what is good. Do not be idolaters. Instead, recognize God alone is to be in that first place in our lives and in the objects of our devotion. He is number one. And then do not act immorally. Don't commit sin. Don't, especially we talk about sexual sin, don't engage in fornication. Don't do those types of things. But instead, exercise self-control and make sure that that is the practice in the church. Do not tolerate this type of sin in the church. Then the next thing we see in verse 9, Nor let us try the Lord as some of them did, and they were destroyed by the serpents. We have the example back in the, num- in the book of Numbers, Numbers chapter 21, the people complaining and grumbling, and this is something that they did on a regular basis as they wandered through the wilderness. But on this occasion here in Numbers chapter 21, God punished them in a unique way. It's different than he had done at other times. But in verse 4, it says, They set out from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient because of the journey. The people spoke against God and Moses. And they said, Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this miserable food. You see the contradiction of the things that they said. There's no food and no water, but they had food. They had something to eat. God was providing for them, but they didn't have the bread that they wanted. They didn't have the food that they were used to in Egypt. They had what God was providing for them, but that wasn't good enough for them. God was providing for them. God was making sure that they were that they were sustained, but they weren't content with that. They wanted something else. They wanted something more than what God provided. They ignored all of that <coughs> and said, we want something else. So verse 6, the Lord set fiery serpents among the people and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. So the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned because we have spoken against the Lord, and you intercede with the Lord that he may remove the serpents from us. And Moses interceded for the people. And Moses, or the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a standard, and it shall come about that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, he will live. And Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a standard, and it came about that if a serpent bit any man, we looked at the bronze serpent, he lived. It's interesting that God did not take away the serpents, but instead he provided a way for them to survive if they were bitten by the serpents. But they realized their sin here. They realized that they should not have spoken against the Lord or spoken against Moses. 
But this was the example that that Paul mentions here in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Do not try the Lord. Let us not try the Lord. That by complaining about what they had or what they didn't have, they were testing the Lord. God was providing for them. God was making sure they had what they needed. They would survive. That they were. He was taking them, should have been taking them to the promised land, but of course they, they did not believe that they were able to take the land. But even through the wilderness, God continued to provide for them even after they rejected the possibility of entering the promised land. God continued to provide for them, but they weren't content with that. They weren't happy with that. Paul brings us up this example here to show us that we try the Lord or we test the Lord when we are not content with what He gives us. When we desire something more or something different than what He provides. We ignore what He's given us. And amazingly, with as richly as we're blessed here, especially in this country... It's easy to ignore everything that we have and we look at the things that we don't have or we wish we had something different than what we have and we complain about what we don't have and we think that it's not fair that we don't have this or that. Paul said here, let us not try the Lord. We have everything we need. But when we complain about, well, we don't have this, we don't have that, that that it's not fair that someone else has this and we don't have it. What we are doing, he says, we are trying the Lord. Well, how do we overcome that? We look over Philippians chapter 4. We need to be mindful of what God has given us. That's, that's really the underlying point. Be mindful of what God has given us, which will lead us to show gratitude for what He's provided. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, it says, Be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. He's saying that you may have things that you wish were different. That your things that because the, they are the way they are, that you wish they were they were changed, the situation was changed, things that cause stress, things that cause anxiety, those things are going to exist. But he says you, you pray to God, you make your request known to God, but you do this with thanksgiving. Not just complaining about, well, everything's unfair or, or nothing is the way that, that I want it to be and just everything is awful, everything is horrible. That's not how you pray. You pray thanking God for everything that you have, that you've been blessed with. And yes, there are things that that maybe we wish were different or we have things that we are concerned about or things that that are difficulties that we're facing we pray to God about those things, but we pray with thanksgiving. We have to remember to have gratitude. And when we do that, verse 7, the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Pray with thanksgiving. Show gratitude. Don't be ungrateful because we don't have what we wish we had. Recognize the blessings that God has given. And then, as he says a few verses later here in Philippians chapter 4, we need to learn contentment. Verse 11, Paul said, not, not that I speak from want, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. And in the next verse, he explained further what really that means. 
He says, I know how to get along with humble means, and I know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. He lived through both extremes, that he lived through poverty. He also lived during times where he had an abundance. In both of those cases, he said the secret, that what I've learned is that I've learned to be content in whatever circumstance I am. He learned that, going back to verse 6, there were things that he could be thankful for no matter what situation he found himself in. If we are going to learn from their mistake, or the Israelites' mistake in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 9, and not try the Lord and not complain, well, we don't have this, we don't have that, and look at how unfair this is that other people have this, or their, their lives are like this, and mine's not like that. Instead of doing that, we learn contentment, we show gratitude, we recognize all that God has done and continues how He continues to bless us. Then the next point he mentions in verse 10 says, Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. You look back in Numbers again, in Numbers chapter 16, and we think about the, what happened when they were grumbling against Moses and really when Moses being the spokesman of God, they were complaining against God. But this is something different from what we saw in verse 9, where they were complaining about, well, we don't have what we wish we had. This grumbling was a little bit different. In Numbers chapter 16 and verse 41, it says, On the next day all the congregation of the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron, you are the ones who have caused the death of the Lord's people. <clears throat> On this occasion here, you have the people confronting Moses and Aaron, saying they've caused the death of the Lord's people. Well, who are they talking about? Well, you have, at the beginning of this chapter, you have certain ones who stood up and rebelled against Moses and Aaron. Verse 1, Now Korah the son of Izhar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, with Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and On the, the son of Peleth, the sons of Reuben, took action. They rose up before Moses, together with some of the sons of Israel, 250 leaders of the congregation, chosen in the assembly, men of renown. <clears throat> they assembled together against Moses and Aaron and said to them, You have gone far enough for all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is in their midst, so why do you exalt yourself, yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? God had chosen Moses to lead the people, and now Korah and these other ones who are with him, they're opposing Moses. They say, well, you shouldn't be the one who's in charge. After all, we're all holy. All the people are holy, which in a sense is true. In the Lord's church, you have everyone who is holy, everyone who is set apart, but when you have elders in a local congregation, they have oversight of the congregation, that there are different levels of authority or oversight that exist among God's people, even though they are all, in a sense, equal, they are all holy. But Korah and these other ones here, they rebelled against them. They opposed them thinking that Moses was wrongly elevating himself above everyone else when, in fact, God was the one who, who did this. Well, 
as this confrontation happened, God made a clear distinction between who was right and who was wrong. Where there was no way to to wonder, well, if this was if this was just a coincidence, then you know, we don't really know what's you know what was right or what was wrong. But in verse 28 of this chapter, it says, By this you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these deeds, for this is not my doing. If these men die the death of all men, or if they suffer the fate of all men, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord brings about an entirely new thing, and the ground opens its mouth and swallows them up and, and with all that is theirs, and they descend alive into Sheol, then you will understand that these men have spurned the Lord. Not Moses, for they were opposing Moses, but Moses making it clear that you know, you, here you have these two sides now. You have this group of people who, was oppo- who were opposing Moses, and then you have Moses over here who is trying to do the work of God in leading the people. And Moses said, look, if nothing happens to these people, if they go on and, and live their life and, 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 and fulfill, their, fulfill their days and all of that, if that happens, then you'll know that, you know, there's no difference between us. That 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 I am not the, that I am not the one you should be listening to. But if something different happens, then you'll know that it's not just me who's opposing this other group, and it's just pick one side or the other, and it doesn't really matter. God is the one who's choosing sides here. Verse 31. As he finished speaking all these words, the ground that was under them split open. The earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up and all their households, and all the men who belonged to Korah with their possessions. So they and all that belonged to them went down alive to Sheol, and the earth closed over them, and they perished from the midst of the assembly. Now, Moses made it clear here that if something like this happens, you know that God is the one who did this. God is the one who's doing it. Moses can't do this. Moses can't cause the ground to split open and swallow people up and then close back up over it. Even today, we can't do this. And with the technology that we have, we might have explosives where we can blow up a piece of the earth and make a big hole in the ground, but not to where it expands, opens a big hole, and then closes up over someone again. We can't do this. Moses couldn't do this. And the people then, verse 41, they're complaining against Moses and Aaron, grumbling against Moses and Aaron, you are the ones who have caused the death of the Lord's people. It's their fault. Moses said, God's the one who's doing this. God's going to show you who's right and who's wrong. And the ones who were wrong, they were punished for that. But now the people are saying, well, it's your fault that this happened. You are the one who caused this. And you have from that point, you know, read through the rest of the chapter, you read about this plague that immediately starts going forth that Aaron has to run and take his stand between the dead and the living to try to stop this to, to where the plague was checked but it says 47 or 14,700 besides those who died on account of Korah died in this plague there in verse 49 you have all these people what what was the problem they grumbled and not just complaining about well we don't have food to eat we were wandering in the wilderness we're doing this or that that's not what they were complaining about they were grumbling because they were upset that the ones who rebelled against God and the ones who opposed the servants of God, that they were dealt with 
in this way. This warning here that Paul gives us is a warning that we can be guilty of the same type of thing when we are more upset about sin or error being condemned or exposed than we are about the sin or error being committed and taught. We're more upset when people stand for the truth than we are at the ones who teach false teaching. And this is, again, this is a problem that you know, is not anything you know, new for us today. We have people who are upset that you would teach that error is wrong or expose certain teachings or certain doctrines or certain false teachers. People are upset about that or that you might point out that someone is in sin, that the church might exercise discipline against someone because they're in sin and refuse to repent. And you have people who are upset about that. Now, how could you do this? This is a, you know, here's a Christian or here's a gospel preacher and you're opposing what he's doing or what he's saying or uh, exposing this sin that's being committed. And they complain about that. How do we overcome that? How do we make sure that we are not guilty of that? Well, one of the passages on this, the passage that was read for us earlier in, in Ephesians chapter 5, and there's a lot of things that we can look at, but I just want to notice this one here on this point, that how do we overcome this urge to defend the one in sin who refuses to repent, or the one who's teaching error to defend them, rather than stand with the ones who are trying to stand for the truth? We need to recognize that sin has no place. Error has no place among the people of God. This is... You know, this passage here in Ephesians chapter 5, you go back to verse 3, which was not part of the scripture reading, but it begins there in verse 3 that Paul says, Immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. And there must be no filthy or silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ in God. These things do not belong in the Lord's kingdom or in the Lord's church. All of these sins, they do not belong there. The situation with the church in Corinth where they were accepting one who was in sin and refused to repent, the man who had his father's wife, well, they were accepting him. Paul told them, you cannot accept that. It will spread like leaven. You have to remove this one from your midst. He's telling the brethren here in Ephesus, this type of sin does not belong among the people of God. And so he told them in verse 11, do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. Don't, this does not belong among the people of God. And do not participate in that. Do not have fellowship with that. Do not accept that. Those who are in sin, they need to be corrected so that they can be they can repent and be right with God again. Those who are teaching error need to be shown the truth so that they can accept it. And if they don't accept that, they need to be opposed so that others can be warned about that and not accept that error that they're teaching. But too many brethren are more concerned that we are exposing false teaching or that we are trying to keep the church pure and exercising church discipline when it's necessary. They're more upset about that than they are about 
the sin that's being committed or the error that's being taught. It's the same mentality as those people who complained against Moses and Aaron. Say, well, you're the ones who caused the death of the Lord's people. No, they caused that themselves. When Korah and the others, when they rebelled against Moses and Aaron, and in essence, rebelling against God, God was the one who did this. And Moses said, God, if something like this happens, God is the one who's doing this. God did it. God was the one who punished them, but the people were saying, well, you're the ones who caused this. No, it wasn't their fault. It was Korah and Dathan and Abiram and the others who were with, it was their fault. They were the ones who caused that. God was the one who carried out that punishment, but it was their fault that it happened. We need to recognize that sin and error have no place among God's people and not grumble and complain when that is pointed out or when that is when that point is pressed. Then the last part of this passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11, Now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. We talked about last week that the Israelites lived under a different law than we do, but there were several similarities that they were delivered from bondage. They were, in essence, baptized as they went through the Red Sea, surrounded by water on either side and the cloud above them. They partook of the same spiritual food, receiving the blessings from God, the same spiritual drink, which was, verse 4 says, which was Christ, that fellowship that, was, that they enjoyed with the Lord. There are a lot of similarities that we have with them, even though we lived under a different time and a different law. But the lesson for us that we need to take from this is why Paul's bringing this out, is that just as they fell, we can fall. Even faithful Christians can fall away. So he says in verse 12, let him who thinks he stand take heed that he does not fall. Don't crave evil things. Don't turn to idols. Don't act immorally. Don't tempt God. Don't grumble against the stands that are need to be made for the truth and, and when sin needs to be corrected, don't grumble or complain about that. Let him who thinks he stand take heed that he does not fall. Don't think that this type of thing cannot happen to you. And I remind myself of the same thing. I should not think that that type of thing could not happen to me. The wise man said in Proverbs 16 and verse 18 that pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. If we begin to think, if we convince ourselves that, well, none of these things could ever happen to us, there's no way I would ever get caught up in that. It's very easy for us to get caught up in these type of things. Craving evil things, That's everyone has to work with that and work on that. Idolatry is not just the graven images. It's anything that we put ahead of God in our lives. That's something we all have to combat. We all have to overcome. The desire to act immorally, to engage in that type of behavior, to complain about what we have and think, well, it's not fair that I don't have this, this person has this over here, and to be upset when someone opposes 
the sin or the error that is being committed or taught by someone that we might be friends with or someone that we look up to, it's very easy to fall into any one of these. Let him who thinks he stand <clears throat> take heed that he does not fall. These examples of the Israelites show us that God expects certain things of His people. He expects us to live a certain way, to live up to a certain standard and not engage in just any type of behavior or have any type of attitude. We need to live a certain way, act a certain way, think a certain way. So if we are faithfully serving the Lord, then let's continue to do that. Not think that, well, there's no possibility we could ever fall. No, make sure that you stay on the right track. Guard against those things that could cause us to fall. And then continue to faithfully serve Him and encourage others to do the same. And also, as we close the lesson, maybe you're here and not a Christian. You can become one of God's people. As we talked about, the Israelites, they were delivered from bondage. They were baptized through the Red Sea. And they enjoyed fellowship with God from that point. You can be delivered from bondage, the bondage of sin. You can be baptized into Christ and be raised to walk in newness of life, have fellowship with God. That is available to you, and if that's what your desire is, we can help you do that today. But if you're subject to the invitation, whether you need to obey the gospel or you're a Christian who needs to make correction in your life, whatever your need is, we invite you to come forward as we stand and sing.